funny election day story. It was the 28th of November 1981, and my wife Pip and I had just been married that very day at Holy Trinity, Richmond. And because it was election day, uh, following the service, we went down the hill to Richmond Primary School uh, where there was a polling booth, and we cast our vote. Uh, and Pip was dressed in her uh, beautiful wedding dress. I was in a suit. And just at that moment, our photographer took a photo of us posting our votes simultaneously into the ballot box and sent it to the Nelson Mail, and it was duly printed that evening. This was the very first day of our marriage partnership, and it was a picture of cooperation and harmony and unity, casting our vote simultaneously. But in spite of the appearance of unity, it was also the first day of quite a stormy relationship in the first few years. Today our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 8, about Jesus calming the storm. And this event speaks powerfully to us, especially as we navigate the storms of life, be they relational or of any other kind. Now, the calming of the storm is certainly a favourite Sunday school lesson because it is so unusual and dramatic. And the take-home lesson was usually, if Jesus can calm the storm, then he can calm the storms in your life. But I think that's too simple. Um, it may be true, and but there's further depth there to be plumbed, and I want to look at that this morning. So imagine the scene. Uh, it happened on Lake Galilee. Some of you have been to Galilee, uh, the beautiful harp-shaped lake in northern Israel. It's about 11 by 15 kilometres in size, and it's 215 metres below the level of the Mediterranean Sea. And we know that a number of Jesus' disciples were fishermen and had worked on the lake almost every day of their lives. They were very experienced uh, in handling boats and uh, looking at the weather and judging uh, safety issues on the Sea of Galilee. And so it says in verse 22, one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so it happened that they set out from the shore, and while they were sailing, Jesus fell asleep. Now, I could preach a whole sermon about, you know, the fatiguing life of ministry right there, but that's another for another time. I'm going to skate over that. But one of the unique features of the Sea of Galilee is that under particular conditions, a strong wind can funnel down uh, some of the steep valleys that lead to the lake on the north and east side and stir up the lake so that it becomes exceptionally rough in a very short time. And that is what happened on this occasion. Now, if the boat was anything like the Jesus boat that was excavated from the mud of Galilee in 1986, it would have been between eight and nine metres long, not insubstantial, and about two and a half metres wide. And it had a sail, it had ribs, it had places to sit, it had rollocks for two pairs of oars. And so it was that the, the wind took hold and the waves built up and the boat began to take on water and was in danger of being overwhelmed. Can you imagine being in this situation? It must have been terrifying. I recall a number of times in the past when I have feared for my life. You could probably think of some situations of your own when you feared for your life. And on every occasion in my experience, 
It has been on water. One of my best university friends was drowned, saving his son off St. Clair Beach in Dunedin. What begins as a fun time of recreation on the water can suddenly turn into a frightening life or death struggle. And so the disciples began to see the water coming into the boat and they're bailing it out, but realize that it's now past that critical point. The boat is sitting lower in the water and a knot of fear tightens in the pit of their stomach. Unless something miraculous happened, they will probably drown. And so they turn to Jesus, who's asleep. How did that play out, I wonder? Did they take a vote on who should wake him? The lucky disciple gently tugs at his shirt or nudges his shoulder. Oh, look, Lord, I'm so sorry about this. But the others are a little bit worried about the situation, uh, you know, with the wind and the waves and everything. Anyway, they asked me to see if you could do anything about it. Oh, not right away, of course, Lord. Uh, but, you know, when you're up and about, uh, just in the next five or so minutes, if that was okay. No, it wasn't like that. In verse 24, it says, They went to him and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. They were terrified. Now, in our modern world, we, we may think that we have a measure of power over nature. We have technology, we have health and safety, of course. And we have ways and means of having some control over natural forces. It's not always the case, of course, but there is an illusion that we are masters over the natural world. But for the ancients, they knew <laughs> that they had no control over nature. They were at the mercy of nature. The Jews, on the whole, were not a seafaring people and actually feared the sea. They left that to the Phoenicians out there on the coast. To them, it represented the evil powers of chaos, always crashing and eating away at the fringes of life, threatening to overwhelm and destroy the very order of life. So all of these feelings had seized the minds of the disciples. But you see, what happened to them can happen to us. You see, the storm which so dominated their minds and hearts at that instant came between them and the assurance of Jesus' care. You see, it was Jesus who suggested they cross the lake in the boat in the first place. And the disciples had obeyed him. They were not in the situation because they'd done anything wrong. Bad things happen to good people. It wasn't their fault. But when the chaos began, it was so raw, so immediate and so life-threatening that their trust in Jesus seemed to have evaporated. And so they said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And in Mark's Gospel, reporting the same event, the disciples are reported as saying, don't you care that we are perishing? Do you relate to that? I know I can. When things go wrong, my feelings can take over my mind and my faith. And I can panic. When there's an overwhelming storm in my life, uh, be it a health problem or a relationship breakdown or the pandemic, for example, then I'm tempted to think that Jesus has abandoned us 
that Jesus no longer cares for us. Circumstances, you see, get between us and the assurance that Jesus does indeed care for us. Disasters do that to us. And so Jesus woke up and he stilled the storm with a word and there was a complete calm. Commentator Hendrickson said, wind and waves synchronised in the sublime symphony of a solemn silence. You might think that's trying too hard or uh, nicely poetic. I'll leave that for you to judge. But the boat stopped rocking, the water stopped sloshing in, the disciples breathed again. And Jesus asked them, where is your faith? We're told that the disciples were afraid and amazed and said to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? So you see, there's, as, this is as much about the identity of Jesus as it is about how he can save us from trouble. Do you see that? Who is this that the wind and the water obeys him? As I said in the pew sheet, some of you may have read the front page already, I've been reading a little book entitled Who is God by Richard Borkham. Only 110 pages. It's one of those little books. It's an absolute gem, though. Someone said to me yesterday, when I told them about this book um, and the title, Who is God? They said, isn't that a question you should already know the answer to? To which I would reply, well, you know, it's a big topic. (laughs) But in the very first chapter, Borkham describes Jacob's ladder from Genesis 28. And the Hebrew word for ladder can also mean staircase. It's the same word. And this staircase appears to be an allusion to the ziggurats of the ancient Near East, where the peoples would build, the people would build a pyramid-like structure with steps all the way to the top. And occasionally the priests would be able to go to the top And that's where the gods were, up there at the top. But in the story of of Jacob, we're told that God stood beside him while he was having his dream of the staircase with the angels going up and down. And God said, Jacob, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. God said, know that I am with you. I'm not at the top. I am down here. I am with you. You see, the God who is revealed in the Old Testament was quite unlike the distant, capricious gods of ancient times. Because the God God of the Bible is not distant. God is not remote from human affairs. God is not at the top of the ziggurat. God is at the bottom. God is with us, here, now, today. So here we have the extraordinary situation of Jesus Christ calming the storm and the disciples were afraid and amazed because of the power Jesus had over nature. Jesus spoke a word and the storm ceased. And that reminds us, of course, of Genesis chapter 1 where God said, let there be light. God creates the world through his word and now God comes into the world he has created He comes in the form of the man, Jesus Christ, but his true glory and power availed. Many people who encountered Jesus saw an ordinary looking man. And yet there were times like this 
where his glory and power were revealed. And the disciples were amazed because here Jesus was doing what only God could do, exert power over nature through a word. But more importantly, they were amazed because God was with them, you see. The God who revealed himself to the patriarchs in the Old Testament had come into his creation in Jesus to be with us forever. Now, if you want to summarize the whole of Christianity, you could do so by saying that God loves us and wants to be with us. God wanted us so much that he sent his only son into the world to enable this to happen. And even today, God still wants us to be with him. God wants to be with uh, Brody, who's to be baptized a little later. God wants to be with those facing storms of different kinds. God wants to be with you in the good times and in the bad. And I can testify that God has been with my wife Pip and myself since November 1981, or at least that long, probably longer, uh, to help us work through our internal storms, as well as the storms from outside that we faced together. God has been with us. Now, I close not by pleading with you to consider the claims of God on your life, because that wasn't the approach of Jesus. No, Jesus called people. Nay, he summoned people, all kinds of people, to follow. And so instead I close with what Jesus said to his disciples in the boat in a flat calm on that unforgettable day. He said, where is your faith? The implication being that you have faith, but you may have forgotten to exercise it. What about exercising it? Amen.